So here we are. Everybody ready? Ready for the eighth week in the uh, series Kingdom Manifesto. And the manifesto simply is just, hey, this is what we're going to do. And that's what Jesus is really talking about here. We've been in it eight, uh, seven weeks. And uh, what Jesus is endeavoring to do, folks, in this message, he's endeavoring to teach us how we ought to live as we follow Jesus. I mean, it's not about rules and regulations. It's not, that's what, what Jesus is endeavoring to do with us and for us and through us today is get a hold of our heart. Because unless God gets a hold of my heart, everything else just is like a landslide. It, it, it has no, no gravity. It, it, it will not anchor me nor will it bring glory to God. Jesus was always about going to the heart. That's why he came on the scene. If you remember early in this, Jesus would come and he would say, you have heard in times past to do this, this, and this, but now I say to you, what he was saying was you, you had the pattern, but it wasn't about the heart. Now I'm bringing the heart. And so he's taught us in weeks gone by, he taught us about the heart of love. We talked about the heart of faithfulness. Jesus taught us about the heart of integrity, about the heart of prayer. And last week, we shared about the heart of devotion. And today, we're going to share about the heart of trust, which has a lot to do with anxiety. Anxiety. This world is tied up in anxiety. We sang about it just a moment ago. Jesus will bring down the giant of anxiety. But anxiety is usually rooted in fear about losing something, about losing our security or losing our control or, or losing in our circumstances. We, te we tend to want to hold on. When something is good, we want to embrace it and hold on to it and hope that it doesn't change. How many of you, when things are going real good, you like it and you want to hold that pattern, but the pattern doesn't always hold? And Jesus really is going to push back on people who think they trust God. So we've got a question today. I mean, if you get nothing else today, I mean, if you got up, got dressed, drove over here, sitting in the chair, if you get absolutely nothing else than this today, get the big question. And the big question is this. You ready? Do you really trust God when it comes to the essentials of life? Now, listen, see how quiet it is? Do you really trust God when it comes to the essentials of life, that he will indeed supply to you the essentials of life? And we're going to pick up the narrative that Jesus is speaking on the mount. He's talking to a whole bunch of different people. And in verse 25 of chapter 6 of Matthew, he starts off and he says this, therefore, so let's stop right there. Because you remember when you see therefore in your Bible, you should take the time to find out why it's there, what it's there for, okay? And so what is there for here? Jesus is, is saying, I've just told you that I want you to lay up treasures in heaven, not on earth. When you have treasures on earth, it's easy to be lost. You lay up treasures in heaven, they never get lost. And then he makes the statement that really stands us up when he says, because where your treasure is, there your heart is. So listen to this. If your treasures are all on this earth, then your heart is embedded in this earth. 
If your treasures are being laid up in heaven, then your heart is heavenly. And if your heart is heavenly, then your mind should be heavenly. Seek the things which are above. That's where we're headed. And so if I'm going to lay up treasures somewhere, it needs to be in heaven because that's where I'm going to spend the majority of my time. Just here for a few more years, and then it's adios, amigos, and we're going to heaven. Wherever that is, I don't care. I'm going. You know what I'm talking about? Got a lot of arguments going on about that. So he says, therefore, I tell you, in other words, I'm telling you this. I'm telling you, do not be anxious. And that word anxious means take no thought. It says don't really overly be concerned. Don't be anxious about your life, about what you will eat. Some of you are already thinking right now, you're already anxious. Should we get a burger? Should we see seafood? I can't wait to eat. I wish he would hurry up. What time is it? Is it going to go long? And then some people are saying, I wonder what we are going to eat. Or what you will drink. Uh, nor about your body, what you will put on. And then he asks a question. He says, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Just a rhetorical question, just getting you thinking. Is it your life more than clothes and food? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. I've got bird feeders at house, Jan and I. We watch them every morning. We watch the birds. We feed them. Uh, I'm like God to them. You know what I mean? <laughs> but then again, they're sort of like people to God because when the bird feeder runs out of feed, they ain't nowhere to be found. <laughs> they don't love you. You think your dog loves you. Your cat doesn't love you. You quit feeding them for one day. They go, oh, man, they got to go find some food somewhere else. And so God feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? So when we talk about anxiety, we, we, there's really two words that, that mix together here. And uh, they're synonymous in a lot of things. But then there's a little bit difference between them. The first is stress. Now, let me give you the definition of stress for today. Stress is the soul and body's response to changes in our environment and circumstances. And stress is normal, folks. It's part of life. Everybody has stressors. You know, stressors can be uh, your job, your work, your schedules, your family, your kids, your finances, your health. I mean, there's a lot of things that, that come into our life as stressors. And, and that's okay. That's part of life. That's normal. Everybody, everybody in this room, I'm sure you've been stressed out before. You know, I, I remember when I worked in, the, in, in, in my job before I went into ministry, and I, was in a, the, I ran the accounting department, and, and uh, we had a supply company and, uh, you know, several branches. And once a year, we had to do inventory, and, and uh, we had just, you know, thousands of items. That just, and, and a lot of them were weird special items, special prices, and, and uh, they were everywhere. And so when we would count them, and list them, part of my job was uh, to help find the value of those things. And, and it was so difficult and it was so intense. And the whole month of January was just stressed out because not only did you have the year's business you had to deal with, which, by the way, uh, once calculated, gave our net worth, gave our, our net profit, had to do with taxes, and most importantly, had to do with our year-end bonuses. So it was stressing me out. Not only that, all the work of January was just piling up behind. I still 
nearly 35 years later, I still have dreams about whether or not I'm going to get the job done at that company. Some of you are shaking your heads. You know what I'm talking about. That was a stressor, but as soon as we signed off on the bottom line, the stress disappeared. No more stress. Just back to normal, doing our normal work schedule. That's stress. Anxiety is a little bit different. Anxiety is persistent, excessive worries that don't go away even in the absence of a stressor. In other words, when there's nothing to be stressed about, when there's nothing to be anxious about, you're anxious, you're in anxiety, and it's affecting your life on a day-to-day basis. Now, anxiety is when you look at the stressors and uh, you look at them from the worst-case scenario. Now, anxiety, this is what it does. It'll steal your joy, and it'll kill your faith. And it eventually can destroy your hope in life. It's active. It's alive. It moves. Anxiety doesn't accomplish anything. It doesn't add one moment to your life, although it may take some moments away from your life. Guess what else? It it doesn't fix the problem, but anxiety can create many problems. And anxiety doesn't accomplish anything. It doesn't increase your lifespan. No, it doesn't. It doesn't do that. It doesn't, it doesn't motivate you. It doesn't move you forward. It captivates you. And society is filled with anxiety. We are living in a very, very anxious time. And there are a lot of factors involved in that, folks. And I want to take just one of those factors. I want to talk to you because it's so prevalent in probably everyone's life in this room. Most everyone in this room has got to deal with this. And that is the dilemma that we find ourselves in concerning social media. Now, social media is an amazing thing because it doesn't sit dormant. It, it's, it's active. It, it moves in your life. And uh, there are many studies already taking place. Now, it's still new on the, on the block, but it's, it's gonna, you're going to start seeing very, very negative studies come forth. But watch, this is just one of them. I just want to share this with you. One study found that teenagers, and we're going to talk to teenagers, okay, but it's not, I realize it's not just teenagers. It goes all the way from two years old. All the way, my, my mom's 95, and social media, she's up on social media, man. You hear me? <laughs> Look, she can tell you about what's going on in this world, and she worries about everything. But watch this. Teenagers who spend two or more hours online are at risk of developing suicide risk factors, and those who spend five or more hours a day online are 71% more likely to have at least one suicide risk factor compared to their peers who only are online for one hour or less a day. I was encouraged by that because there are some teenagers who are not online eight hours a day. It has an effect. Let me go on. One reason for these negative effects on mental health could be that platforms show only the best part of a person's life or the highlight reel. Instagram's great for that. Evidently, this, this study was made before TikTok blew up on the scene because TikTok now is the, 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 the great platform where we find out all our value in life. In particular, Instagram was found to have the most negative effects on mental health as it led to greater feelings of depression, anxiety, and loneliness, as well as sleep loss and negative body image. Continued heavy use of these social platforms may only make matters worse and require formal mental health 
treatment in order for people to see improvements. And the reason is because it, it shows so much comparison. You watch people, you know, you, you watch them. They're on the beach in, in, in Hawaii or they're on a mountaintop in Asia somewhere and they're smiling, you know, in their little selfies and they're just having a great time and they, they're, they're, their rings are shining and their hair is perfect and they're just doing all this and you up at the house in your sweatpants. <laughs> And your kid just vomited all over the living room rug. You understand? I mean, let's get real. Isn't that the way it is? Because that is the way it is. The dog died, the car won't start, and your husband's mad at you. I mean, that's the reality where we live. You understand? And these platforms give us something that really isn't realistic. On the other hand, I was watching a video the other day on my phone, and I got about halfway through it. It was a confrontation between a police officer and a person that they had stopped. And if you look and you see, they fuss, they fuss, they fuss. And about halfway through, I was enraged. And I realized that I caught myself and said, this is crazy. And I just clicked it off because it means absolutely nothing. And why in the world am I looking at it? What value is this adding to my life? Comparisons breed insecurity, breeds discontentment. Look at that car they have. Wow, look where they're going. Wow, look what they did. I don't get to do anything. My parents are, we're broke. We got no money. We can't ever go on a vacation. I've never seen water that clear before. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Only the tourists are in the water. <laughs> Isn't that right? <laughs> Ain't it good to be real? Just say it like it is, you know what I mean? I've been here 35 years, and I've went in the water one time. <laughs> and I went all the way up to my ankles <laughs> with shoes on. Okay, move on here. Overstimulation, too much of everything. You were not created to receive so much, and I don't want to. I don't want to get into this because it, it's just a it's just a black hole. But you know, there there are anxiety disorders. They are real, folks. But the majority of you in this room are not in anxiety disorders. And by the way, we as pastors, as ministers, we're not professionals. We, 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 we can't diagnose you whether or not you have a disorder or you're just suffering through some anxiety or trouble. We're ministers of the gospel, and so we don't want to do that. We don't, we don't get over into that, all right? But the majority of people in this room are just dealing with anxiety. You understand? Just the way it is. And uh, that's why Jesus is going to give us some help right here in verse 28. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? And then he uses five words that gets our attention. O you of little faith. Now Jesus could bring teaching that would literally go so far over our head that we wouldn't understand one word he says. But he loves us so much that he brings everything down in a very simplistic manner 
And what he's saying is, you're more valuable than a bird. And if I can make a flower grow in a field, I can put some clothes on your back. And then he says, it's a matter of faith. Now, Jesus said this, not some preacher, not some teacher, but Jesus said, oh, you, you got a problem with your faith. Now, here, the point is not where Jesus is saying, be lazy and don't sow and reap and, and don't store up this and don't be diligent in your job. You know, some folks think that it's like, I ain't got to do nothing. Lord, going to take care of me. I'm just going to lay back. The Lord is so good. Oh, you're so good, Lord. You bless me. Thank you, Lord. I'm a lazy bum. I think I don't want to read the book of Proverbs, Lord, because that's what it tells me what I really am. You know, you don't want to do that. You just want to say, Lord, you're so good. Your goodness is running after me. Your blessings are tackling me, Lord. <laughs> but Jesus says, you know what? You don't want to be lazy. You want to know that God is your source. You want to be fully convinced that God ultimately is your source for the essentials of your life. Now, Jesus diagnoses the problem with anxiety of not having faith. But I want to say this. I want to say that faith is agreeing with what God says to you about you. That's just, that's just a very simplistic understanding. It's just believing God. That's what faith is. And uh, sometimes when people are going through great struggles, uh, we have the tendency to just say, well, praise God. Just believe the Lord. Just trust God. And we just use these little statements around uh, because it's easy because I got a car, I got a house, I got money, I got, I got everything, man, and you ain't got nothing. And so just trust God. It's going to be all right. And sometimes people need a whole lot more than that. And we should supply more than that of remembering where we came from and where God has brought us. And so it's very, very important. Now, it could be lack of faith, but sometimes anxiety, especially disorders, especially when people have been through hard things that once they go through them, even when they give their heart to God, even when they trust him and their, 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 their faith level is high, they still are suffering from a disorder. And sometimes it's, it's that they may need help. I remember when we first got into the faith movement years ago, you would feel guilty if you took a Tylenol. You know what I mean? Now, we were young, 27, man. We were healthy. I could dance for 45 minutes before the Lord and never even get winded, and I never had a headache, and I never had an ache. But I tell you what, about 40 years later, give me the Tylenol, Lord. <laughs> Sometimes when you have deep, deep issues, maybe your first step of faith is to seek out therapy and medication. Maybe you need help to stabilize things until you can get your feet planted on the ground. Because some people probably in this room, and I don't know most of you, but I guarantee that some of you have been through just really horrible things that bring up these things. And there's triggers. We call them stressors, but sometimes they're just triggers that bring up things. And look, I've pastored for uh, you know, a long time, and I understand uh, uh, post-trauma disorder. <laughs> As a pastor, <laughs> ultimately, Jesus is our source of healing. You know that, don't you? But you may need help. So let's help people get help. Let's, people, let's just help people. And so you have to seek wisdom as far as how to find health in your life. 
Jesus continues in the 31st verse. He says, therefore, now, why is it therefore? Well, because you're more valuable than a bird and better than a flower. Do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles, the Gentiles. Remember, we told you early on in the, these messages that Jesus was talking to a, a, a large array of people. Romans, uh, religious leaders, his followers, Gentile people who just hanging out wondering what's going on. And here he says, don't be like the Gentiles. Don't be like people who do not put their trust and faith in God. That's what he's saying. So to us in this room, he would be saying, hey, Northwood, people of God, don't be like people who don't even know me. Don't act like people who don't know me. Act like people who know me because you know what they do? They seek after all these things. They're all, everybody's going for the good life, folks. Everybody. He said, they seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows what you need, that, that you need them all. He knows that. You know, isn't it amazing to know that God knows what you need? Sometimes, uh, are you guilty of this when you pray, you're trying to tell God all kind of stuff? Yes. You're trying to inform God. Next thing you know, you're not even praying at all. You're just telling God what he ought to know. It's like, Lord, don't you know that there's trouble here? Have you not seen, Lord? And he says, I have seen, yes. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Now, let me deal with maybe the elephant in your mind right now, or it might be the elephant in this room, and that is, yeah, but wait a minute. You don't, know, you don't know. I tell you what, I know people that trust God and they've got all kind of needs and it's been 20 years and they ain't ever had that need. What about those people in Ukraine that love God, those Christians? What about those people over? What about, what about, the, what, what, what about the, he just said it. Lee just said people are dying. What about martyrs? What about these people? Surely where, where are their needs? God, you didn't meet their needs. So let me just share some scripture real quick. This is not going to be on the board. In Luke 21, Jesus tells the disciples, he says, your family's going to be against you and they're going to kill you, but don't fear, not one hair of your head will be harmed. Wow, huh? They're going to kill you, but don't worry, they ain't going to mess your hair up. That's what Jesus was saying. I'm like, there's something weird about this that he would say they're going to kill you, but your hair's not going to get messed with. Philippians 4, the apostle Paul says, you know, he goes on, he says, I've been hungry, I've been cold, I've been naked. I've been in want, but I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's like, say what? It seems like we, we got something backwards here. And then Paul in Romans chapter 8, he talks about what can separate us from God. What, what? He says, well, can hunger, nakedness, troubles? And then he says, nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So, so here we find it's, it seems like a contradiction so, so what are we to do with these things when we feel or we see that things don't seem to be the way Jesus is teaching? We could be easy to say, you're contradictive, Jesus. You, 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 you give one standard over here and you give another standard over there. But let me read this to you. Everything will be given to us that we need in order to do God's will, in order to glorify God most fully, even if it means death. Did you hear that? If you heard it, all right. 
Jesus isn't promising all the food, all the clothing, all the housing, all the health care, all the video games, all the nice house on the lake, all the fancy cars, all the good things, the best clothes. The, the, you, you get it? All the, all the protection, all the health care that we need to be comfortable or even to stay alive. He says we may die in his service. He is promising that we will have every single one of those things in exactly the right measure for doing his will and glorifying his name, even if it means perishing from exposure or starvation in the path of obedience. What God is saying is when you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and his will and his ways and his program and what he's doing, no matter what happens in your life, God will supply all of your need according to his riches, glory in Christ Jesus. That's what God wants to do. He's not your glorified bellhop who comes at your beckoning call when you snap your fingers and say, God, you said, so you must do. I've realized this. 42 years in serving Jesus. And I have realized this, that I am not in control and that God is God and I love to say this, he will do what he wants to do, when he wants to do it, with who he wants to do it, for as long as he wants to do it, and he doesn't have to ask me one single solitary thing. You know what that is? That's surrender. That's what surrender is. You are the boss, I'm not. Look, if God never did anything else for me for the rest of my life, He's already surpassed anything I could have ever imagined. Just to be honest with you. Just in the forgiveness of my sins, just in that alone, that really is enough for me. I would say, thank you, Lord, that I'll take that. So God knows our essential needs. And Jesus says, don't focus on those things, but instead seek the kingdom of God first. So our question of the day, I want to remind you, I'll shorten it. Do you trust God? Do you really trust God? You can't trust someone until trust is tested. And God will test you trust. You know, it doesn't take God a lot to test trust. All he has to do is be silent for like a year and a half. Not one move, not one word. Not one answered prayer. Not getting one thing that I think I ought to get because I did what I thought I ought to do. But just that God is just there. 400 years between the Old and New Testament, not one word from God. And then you know the word he sends? Some wild man out of the wilderness saying, repent. First word, Lord, we've been seeking word. Give us a word, Lord. Father, would you bless us, Lord? Tenfold, hundredfold, Lord. Repent from a wild man, John the Baptist. You know, verse 34, therefore, after all what I've said, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself, sufficient for the day is its own trouble. You know, our trouble is a lot of times we bar trouble from tomorrow. You've done that, haven't you? Worried about what's going to happen tomorrow, next week, or whatever. We do that quite often. 
We fill up today with tomorrow or next year. We lose today and we worry about tomorrow. Because you know what? I might not be alive tomorrow. There are a lot of people alive today that will be alive tomorrow. What makes me think that I should not be one of those? Why should I think that I am going to live to be 98 and go to sleep one night and then go be with Jesus? It doesn't work that way, folks. We are not promised tomorrow. And Jesus knows that. You know, most folks, they worry about things that never come to pass. And I believe it's torture to worry about something that will never happen and to allow it to dominate your life. It's amazing. Worry produces nothing positive. So the question here is, what do I do if I'm dealing with anxiety? Well, I'm going to give you four things, and then we're going to finish, okay? You ready? Number one, and these are not necessarily in any order, but number one, I believe you need to cultivate godly relationships with other people. Look, this is the church, and the church is a family. And, you know, my heart has broken for many, many years to see people just attend a church service. I'm not putting you down if you just attend a church service. Let's listen to me. And then they fall into some kind of trouble, some kind of need, and they don't have one friend. They don't have one godly friend who can come alongside with faith and say, let's walk through this together. You understand? They're alone. And it's hard to fight a battle by yourself. It gets mighty lonely. And so I believe we need to cultivate. You have to be really persistent about it. You have to really go after it. Small groups are the best way I know to have relationships. It's hard to form a relationship on a Sunday morning in an hour and 15-minute service. But in a small group of people, it doesn't have to be large. And by the way, you don't need 10 friends. You just need a couple. You just form some relationships. And next thing you know, you've got somebody who will help you through things and work through things. I think number two is that we need to create healthy boundaries. And what I mean by that is that we need to take control of what's going on in our life. And anything that we can change that's negative in our life, we need to change it. In other words, if social media is, is causing you to have anxiety and anger problems and upset, and, you're, and not just social media, but all media. Hey, if you've got the TV plugged in your head all day long with, the, with, with all the, the positive and the negative and the, the, you know, the left and the right and the all in between and up and down and everybody knows this, then that, that causes you to just get all upset and just wrecks your day. Then it wrecks your week and your month and your life. You need to set boundaries sometime in relationships. Some of you probably need to get out of some relationships that you're in that just cause you all kind of trouble. You say, I would, but I'm married to him. <laughs> we understand marriage. We understand that you, you can't, you're not going to divorce him because you have to set a boundary. But you work at those things. You take those things to the Lord. But the things you can change, you should change. And you should be diligent about them. I think num number three is that you need to seek professional and spiritual help. I think it's time to come on out and get some help. And what I mean by that, you have to find the one, but there's pastors who would just love to help you walk through things, not control you, not make your decisions for you, but to at least give you a path out of the Word of God and sometimes just common sense to help people make it. Maybe it's a friend, maybe it's a group leader, maybe it's a psychologist or a psychiatrist. Maybe it's a doctor. Maybe it's health food people. I don't know, but you should seek out some professional help. And then number four, I really do believe we need to trust God with a grateful heart. I believe we have to cultivate a healthy relationship. One more verse of Scripture in Philippians 4, 6. The Apostle Paul, who knows where we are, where we live, he said, do not be anxious about anything. 
but in everything by prayer and supplication with a thankful heart, with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And you know the God of all peace will keep your minds and your hearts. There's a supernatural element here that we need to cash in on. It's not just in the mind or in the body or even in the soul. It's in the spirit. It's embracing God, even though you don't understand it. Even if you're just holding on to a string of God, you're holding on and saying, God, there's more. There's something else. You've got the answer. I don't. I'm trusting you. Listen, it's been since 1989 we came to Gulfport. Now, when we got saved when we were 27, Jan and I, we were just a young couple. God came sovereignly after us. We never were seeking after God. We were not in any kind of church. Uh, just the opposite. We despised any kind of religion. It was just like, give me a break here. Let's just go do something else. But he came and got us, and, and, and we surrendered to him. He saved us. We were born again. And then a few years later, God called me to preach. I mean, he called me to preach. He set me in a place. And then after several years, we left our hometown to come to Gulfport, Mississippi. We left everything we ever knew. All of our family, all of our friends, every familiar place, our home. And we took our three little children, put them in a U-Haul truck, and drove over here. Emptied our stuff in a nasty old rent house. And, and, and just started doing what God, what we felt God was telling us to do. Took a church of 34 people, deep, deep in debt. And those 34 people, they were great people, but they were so sad like on life support almost. And God just began to help us. And I remember walking through the Kroger's food store one day, getting some groceries. By the way, there wasn't a whole lot of money when you get a salary paid by 34 people, especially when about 12 of them are kids. <laughs> kids ain't got no money, bro. <laughs> and I was pushing that buggy. And I stopped right in the middle of the Ken Goods section. i never forget it. And I had never felt so alone in all of my life. I had never felt so empty, so alone, so, I mean, just all, it just hit me all of a sudden. We are totally alone in this place. We don't really know anybody. Yeah, we got a few church folk, but we don't know anybody. I don't have a friend at all. I don't have my brother. I don't, I don't have nobody. And I felt so afraid almost. And then I just sucked it up. Because this is the will of God in Christ Jesus, that you come and you establish a church in Gulfport, Mississippi. That's all that God ever told us to do. We had opportunities to travel the world. We could, we could have been to so many places and done so many things and were asked to do so many things. But God never said to do it. He said, you're going to pastor this church. And we began to trust God. And we had to trust God for money to live. We had to trust God to pay our rent. And God was so faithful. We saw a little house on the side of the road on the way to church. And we looked at it. And Jan and I looked at each other. And we said, it'd be so great if we could have that little house. We need a house for our family. We've got to have a place to live. But we had a house in Louisiana that couldn't sell. Nobody would buy it. We were renting it, but nobody wanted the house. And we couldn't buy another house unless we sold that house. 
And so we didn't know anything else to do. We met with the real estate lady. We made a whole hands and pray with us. <laughs> we had the three little kids, me and Jan and the real estate lady, and we prayed. God, you got to sell our house. We don't know how else to do it. We just trusted you. We, we don't know what to do. Amen. We left that place. We drove to our house, our little rent house. It was so nasty. It was nasty, aren't you? You made it nice, though, honey. Yeah, you did. You did. She mopped that kitchen. She mopped the kitchen floor about 12 times before we could see. Oh, that's what the floor looks like. And uh, when we walked in the front door, the phone was ringing. I picked up the phone. I said, hello. And it was our real estate agent from Gonzales. She said, Brother Van, this is Miss Wagon's back. I said, yes, ma'am. She said, praise the Lord. Just sold your house. Trust God. Nothing spectacular. It never made it on Instagram. Well, there was no Instagram. There was no internet. It never, it never made it on that. But, but we knew that God made a way where there didn't seem to be a way. And in the same way he did it in that instance, he did in everything else. And now the result of that, no, no glory to Van and Jan. God did it. Now four locations before COVID did its thing. Boo on COVID. Hello, Jesus. Going to be 2,000 people in this church before you can blink your eyes. And God did it. You understand? So here it is, folks. He is the way maker. He is the God who does the impossible. Even when you don't see it, he's working. Even when you don't feel it, he's working. Because he never stops working. He never stops working in your life. And instead of getting all depressed and angry and quitting, how about you tighten up your belt, you trust your God, you put your heart and your head down, and you believe him for the essentials of life, healing, in your life, in your relationships, and see if God is not able to do exceedingly, abundantly, no matter what you're able to ask or think. Let's bow our heads together, if you don't mind, just for a second. Let's give God just a few more moments. It's a big subject, trusting God. It's easier said than done, but it is God's will. And first of all, before you ever think about trusting him for your daily bread or your clothes or your job or that your kids turn out okay and things of that nature, you have to trust him with your personal life, your personal eternity. And it's very, very simple. If God is moving on your heart, if he's moving on your heart to embrace a relationship with him and you don't have that and I don't know if you do or not but it has to be real and alive then it's a simple way to do it God doesn't make it complex he could have but he didn't Jesus paid all the price paid for all of your sins and what he wants from you is your heart Jesus is after your heart today is the day that you give him your heart in the best way you know how you won't know all of the future, but you can be assured of this one thing. 
that that which you deposit to him, he will begin a work today and he will finish it completely when it's all said and done. So if you're in this room right now, I want to pray with you a very simple prayer. All you have to do is open your heart up right now. Confess your need for a Savior. And out of your mouth, it can be just a whisper. Simply say, Lord Jesus, I need you. I need to be forgiven of my sin. I've been separated from you, and I have no relationship with you. But today, your goodness has shown me that you love me and care for me. I receive your forgiveness. Go ahead, just, just receive forgiveness. And I thank you for coming, saving me and changing me. In Jesus' name. And now just one more moment, folks. You're in this place right now, and some of you have walked with God for a long time. Some of you, it's brand new. And you've been having trouble trusting God. You've been borrowing stuff from the past and from the future. You've just been kind of mixing it all together, and what it's doing is damaging your faith. And so today, right now, you want to renew your faith in God that he is able to do what he says he's going to do. And Father, we thank you right now that your word is true and that, Lord God, you love us and you care about us more than a bird. We've got great more value than a flower, and you have promised that you will meet our essential needs, that we might glorify you with our life or even with our death. We thank you, Lord God, right now. Father, I pray for those that are struggling deep in anxiety, even disorders, God, that plague them, that press against their heart and mind, that causes them to feel like it's a helpless situation in the name of Jesus. We pray over their minds, God. Pray over their hearts and thank you, Lord God, that you will touch them and that you will change things and that you will help God in time of need. We give you the glory for it, Father, in the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody said amen and amen and amen.